Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Canole, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. and welcome back to another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canole, and I want to set some context for today's episode because depending on when you're actually listening to this, these facts will certainly be different. But as of this recording, the NASDAQ is down 20% from its all-time highs. The S&P 500 is down about 12% from its all-time highs. The EFI, so an international index, is down about 13% from its all-time highs. And as of this recording, inflation is the highest it's been in several, several years. As of this recording, Russia is invading Ukraine, which is causing a lot of unrest globally and questions of what's going to happen next. So as of this recording, there is a tremendous amount of uncertainty happening around the world, which as investors gives us a lot of concern as well. So in today's episode, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about four steps to navigate down markets. As an investor, how should we be reacting here? What are the things that we should be doing as we look to get through these types of experiences? And whether you're listening to this right when the episode comes out, so some of these things are a little bit more timely, or whether you're listening to this a year or two down the road, a lot of these principles are going to be timeless, meaning whether it's because of Russia invading Ukraine, whether it's because of inflation or whether it's because of some other crisis that is happening in the future, these principles are going to be timeless. So I don't want you to think that if you're listening to this and the recovery has already happened or this crisis has already been resolved, doesn't mean these principles won't still apply. So let's jump into this and start talking about as investors, as long-term planners, how do we approach a situation like this? Because as I said, a lot of the stock markets as a whole they're down quite a bit from their highs. Now, also, when you look at this, it sometimes feels like it's even worse than what you're looking at when you just look at the S&P 500 being down 12% or the NASDAQ being down 20% because a lot of individual stocks, not just any individual stocks, but individual stocks that were kind of the darlings of 2021 or 2020 and really had tremendous performance, a lot of them are down even more. Zoom, for example, Zoom stock, which was an incredible stock for most of 2020 as COVID was taking over and as people were being forced to work from home and forced to use tools like Zoom, Zoom stock had a tremendous run, but it's now down over 80% from its all-time highs that were reached in 2020. So for a lot of investors, it feels even worse than being down 10, 15, 20%. And a lot of them are thinking, oh my gosh, what on earth are we to do? This seems like it's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets better. How do we react? Well, to do so, we have to go back to the beginning. You never just start with how are you invested and what changes should you make. I'm going to walk through comprehensively what are the four steps everyone should have in place, the four things everyone should have in place. Some of them may require you to backtrack a little bit and go back to the foundations. Some of them you may be already doing, but let's look at these holistically to see how you can apply them to your situation. So the first thing that you want to do is it comes to how do you navigate this down market? Specifically, what do you do with your investments to navigate this down market? Well, number one has nothing to do with the investments at all, at least in terms of how they're invested. Number one is create a financial plan. And really, when I say financial plan, I'm specifically talking about an income plan in retirement. If your question is, how is this going to impact my ability to retire or create income from my investments in retirement? So I say this has nothing to do with investing because the first questions aren't, should I be owning different stocks? Should I be rebalancing into a different strategy? 
the first question should be looking at your retirement. How much do you need to live on? How much do you need to save or invest to get there? What other income sources will you have in retirement? You have to ask these questions because in doing so, what you start to get a sense for is how does your portfolio actually fit into your retirement plan? Now, in retirement, are you fully dependent on your portfolio to meet all of your living expenses? Or will your portfolio just be meeting part of your expenses, meaning it might supplement social security or a pension or rental income or part-time work income or any other thing like that? And that's important because a lot of people, the way we think about it is our mind, we just try to simplify everything. And we simplify it by saying, okay, to retire, I need a million dollars or I need $3 million or I need $500,000 or whatever your number is. And when that's the way that you think, times like these become very scary because let's assume that you say your number is a million dollars just to use a round number. Well, maybe you've saved a million dollars and in your mind, now all of a sudden you feel very confident that you can retire. Well, then 2022 rolls around and for the first two, three months of the year, that million dollars has now turned to $900,000. Does that mean you can't retire now because your number is lower? Well, that's not necessarily the right way to look at. It's not looking at what's your total value of your investment portfolio and therefore can you or can't you retire. It really comes down to understanding what your investments need to do to supplement your non-investment income sources to create your desired standard of living and retirement. So that's why you need to start with the other questions of what is it that you need to live on in retirement? What other income sources are you going to have to meet a portion of that? And then what role will your portfolio play? That's step number one. Because once you understand the role that your portfolio plays, or in other words, how much you need from your portfolio each and every year, at least an estimate of how much you need from your portfolio each and every year throughout retirement, then you can move to step number two. Step number two is create an investment plan. So once you have the financial plan, which I'm defining as understanding how much cash flow you will have coming in from things like social security or pensions and how much cash flow you need from your portfolio to supplement that, the investment plan piece, that's where you start to understand how should you actually be allocating your portfolio to the different types of investments that will allow you to generate that cash flow from your portfolio. Now, there's a whole bunch of iterations of what this could actually look like, practically speaking, but let's look at two examples. Let's look at example number one of you have your financial plan and maybe you're already retired, so you need money now. Well, step number one, what that would look like if I was running through this with a client would be, okay, how much do you need to live on? Say that number is $5,000 per month. I'm just throwing out some numbers right now. What other portfolio income sources do you have to supplement part of that? And let's assume that you have, say, $3,000 per month from Social Security coming in. So how does your portfolio fit into that? Well, okay, we've now identified that our portfolio needs to generate the remaining $2,000 per month to supplement Social Security to get us to that $5,000 per month. Of course, I'm simplifying this. I'm not factoring in taxes or anything else at this point. I'm just looking at it from a very simple standpoint. So once we understand the financial plan side, which is, okay, we need $2,000 per month from our portfolio, the investment plan piece looks at how we can most effectively do that. Now, if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know I'm a fan of what's called the guardrails approach to investing. The guardrails approach, it essentially says, do you have enough stable investments or conservative investments plus enough diversified growth investments to be able to generate income for yourself regardless of what's happening in the market? So in times like 2021, where stock markets were up double digits, those are great years where you would live on some of your growth investments. 
So you would be pulling from your portfolio from the things that had gone up in value. And those things had gone up in value, maybe 15, 20, 25% or so, depending on what you were invested in. So as those things are growing, those are wonderful years to be living on that, to have your income coming from those growth investments. But in times like 2022, so far at least as of this recording, where the market is down anywhere from 10 to 15 to 20%, those are years where you want to live on more conservative investments, whether that's cash or some short-term bonds or something else like that. And what you're doing here is you're making sure that you have enough in conservative investments to be able to see you through whatever downturn may happen. So, so far, this has been about two and a half months of downturn as of this recording. Ideally, you want to make sure you have a few years of conservative investment set aside, at least in the approach that I like to take. You at least have a few years of conservative investment set aside to be able to see you through this because this type of downturn is something that could recover real quickly. We saw this in 2020, for example, where we had a horrible, horrible five-week time period in the stock market and then an absolutely insane recovery where the stock market just shot up and hit new all-time highs before too long. So sometimes it's very quick like that. A lot of times it's not very quick like that. So do you have enough liquid reserves? Do you have enough conservative stable reserves to help you create the income you need to create, giving time for the growth investments to recover? So why did we start with a financial plan in this place? Well, with that financial plan example of you needing 5000 per month and 3000 per month coming from Social Security, well, we would need to have enough in conservative investments for you to be able to generate $2,000 per month for at least a few years or so, which gives time for the more growth-oriented portion of your portfolio to recover. Doing this, and ideally doing this well before these types of events happen, is crucial because what it's doing is by taking this guardrails type of an approach, it's allowing you to implement a dynamic set of rules that tells you where do you pull income from. Do you pull it from the growth investments you have? Do you pull it from the conservative investments do you have? Do you quote unquote inventory some of your excess gains in some years to have that money in cash or extra conservative investments to be able to live on when downturns happen? Do you have rules in place that tell you when you can increase spending or tell you when you maybe need to potentially decrease spending, at least temporarily during different downturns? Doing something like that is crucial to being able to get through these types of things and not just get through these types of things, but do so with peace of mind because your portfolio is still going to go up and down. There's no way around that. It's not as if you retire and there's some secret sauce where you have portfolios that are just going to grow at some set rate of return over and over and over. Now that you're retired, it doesn't work like that unless you're using some type of an annuity product or some type of a product with a guarantee, which comes with its own downsides you're still going to face some ups and downs. But by understanding how you're going to be drawing down your portfolio, so aka when are you living on conservative investments versus when are you living on growth investments versus what tweaks are you making? So by understanding how you're drawing down your portfolio, it gives you more peace of mind that it's not just the total portfolio value that matters as much as the contents of that portfolio. And do the contents of that portfolio provide you protection against downturns like we've seen right now, like we've seen in the past, like we will continue to see forever, but also give you enough growth potential to keep up with things like inflation over time. So that investment plan is a function of the financial plan that you created in step number one, because step number one of creating your financial plan tells you how much you need from your portfolio. And then step number two, when you create an investment plan, it's really with the understanding of you need to create an investment plan that generates that level of income for you or structures your investments appropriately to be able to generate that level of income for you to supplement the other income sources that you have. Now, let's assume that you don't need the money 
Now, let's look at a different scenario. Maybe you still have several years until retirement. Well, this downturn, and and really every downturn, is actually the best case scenario for long-term wealth creation. We all know intuitively that it's better to buy things when they're at a lower value than it is to buy things at a higher value. However, what we know oftentimes goes out the window when scary things like this are actually happening. And the thing that I hear all the time is, I know we're not supposed to time the market, but don't you think this is still going to keep falling a whole lot more before it gets better? Maybe, maybe not. But in saying that, what you're really saying is you have the secret sauce or you understand how to time the market. And really, it's as simple as that. Anytime you say, I believe, I don't believe you can time the market, but, and then give some reason why now is not the best time to buy, that's fine to say, but just call a spade a spade. What you're essentially saying is I know how to time the market. And really, I think if you dig deeper, you'll start to understand that it's more of an emotional thing that you're saying, less of a rational thing that we're saying. No downturn feels good in the moment, but we all know it's better to buy when things are 10%, 20%, 30%, 40%, even down, but things don't just go down 10, 20, 30, 40% and still feel good. The reason things are down that much is because things feel very scary, because things feel very uncertain. So it's impossible to have moments like this where, oh my gosh, you can buy things at a 20%, 30% discount, which is great for your long-term wealth creation without also feeling some level of unease about it because of all the uncertainty that is just naturally part of that buying process. So just recognize that as an investor, that what seems like the right thing and what is actually the right thing are rarely one and the same. The things that seem most scary and quite frankly, sometimes wrong in the moment tend to be the most right over time. The things that seem absolutely right in the moment sometimes are what turn out to be precisely wrong over time. So as an investor, when you're creating your investment plan, understand where you are in your life cycle, your investment life cycle. Are you living on your money? Well, great. Take an approach where you have enough money to get you through times like this without having to sell stock investments when they're down. Or if you don't need money right now and you still have several years until you retire, create an investment plan that's reflective of that. And as things like this are happening, you can say, yes, what's happening around the world is terrible and there's some horrible things happening, but I'm not going to let that derail me from what the right thing to do with my investments is, which is to continue to buy even in the face of extreme uncertainty. So those are steps number one and two so far. Number one, create a financial plan so you can understand what role does your portfolio play in your ability to create income in retirement. Step number two, create an investment plan that's going to help you to generate the level of income needed from your portfolio for the rest of your life. Step number three is maintain perspective. So even if you do step one and step two perfectly, you still need to maintain perspective. This is one of the hardest things as an investor. So often as investors, we get so wrapped up in what's going on around the world that we completely lose perspective in terms of what it is that we're doing as investors. So what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is there is real tragedy and there's real loss happening in the world right now. You don't need me to tell you that. We don't need to deny that even, but when it comes to your investment strategy, it's so easy to get sucked into this black hole of darkness and despair and somehow think that the tragedies happening in Ukraine will somehow permanently impact the long-term growth of your portfolio. And we get in this place mentally where it seems like, oh my gosh, all there is is Bad news in Ukraine, bad news with inflation, bad news with the supply crisis here in the US, just all this bad stuff. And we get so wrapped up into it that we lose our ability to compartmentalize it. It's okay to say, yes, there's real tragedy, real loss, real bad things happening in the world. And then there's also my investments and they're not one in the same. 
So the ability to do that is important as we maintain perspective because what happens is we see the stock market going down in conjunction with this invasion and in conjunction with fears of what could happen next and in conjunction with global inflation concerns. But think of it this way. You own real companies. You don't own the stock market. The stock market is just a seemingly arbitrary number that's flashing across the bottom of CNBC all day. What does it even mean? The Dow's up this, the Nasdaq's down that, or the S&P's doing whatever. Who cares about that? When you're investing, you are invested in actual companies. These are companies that make real products and services. These are companies that have real revenues and real profits, and they have real people running these companies who all day, every day, wake up and see how can we make our company more profitable, more valuable, even in the face of various challenges, such as the one that we're seeing now. So we have to ask ourselves, yes, the stock market gets real jittery in the short term, at least, as things like this are happening. But fast forward a bit. How will this conflict in Ukraine impact Coca-Cola's ability to sell its product globally? How will it impact the semiconductors that Qualcomm makes? How will it change the shopping experience and the goods you buy at Target? Just using some examples here of real companies, real stocks. And if you play this out, what you realize is it really won't all that much. Yes, there might be some short-term impacts, or yes, there might be some impacts here or there. But over time, what's happening is horrible, but is it really going to impact the value of our investments over time? We have to maintain perspective and be able to compartmentalize and say there's bad things happening here, yes, but my investments are separate than that, and I cannot let this thought process of doom and gloom and despair and all this horrible stuff happening it caused me to make a horrible decision with regards to my investments. We also need to have some perspective of what's happened before. Now, this data here that I'm pulling, this is from Ben Carlson's blog called Some Thoughts on Bear Markets. His blog is called A Wealth of Common Sense, but this particular article is titled Some Thoughts on Bear Markets. And what he does is he just gives perspective. This is going back to 1950, the average peak to trough drawdown in a given year is negative 13.6% meaning on average every single year over the past 70 somewhat years or so, the market has pulled back at some point 13.6%. Well, why is that relevant? Well, as of this recording, the S&P 500 happens to be down right about 13%, meaning what we have gone through is average. What we have gone through in the globe right now and globally seems like a horrible, horrible thing in many ways it is, but with regards to investments, it's average. This is an average intra-year decline. Now, by the time you're listening, it could certainly be down a whole lot more. I fully recognize that. Or by the time that you're listening, things could have recovered quite a bit. And you could say, oh yeah, I forgot about that downturn in the market. And it's just a blip on the radar at this point now. But going back to 1950, the average peak to trough drawdown in a given year in the S&P 500 is 13.6%, which means as an investor, these are the types of experiences you must be comfortable with and maybe not comfortable, but must have an understanding of if you hope to accomplish the long-term returns that the stock market can generate over time. Without going through these drawdowns, there is no return. So we need to keep that in mind that there is going to be this type of an experience on average once every year or so, even as the market continues to go higher. Another point that Ben Carlson made in this blog is that during panics like this, it's when the market tends to have its worst days, and that's intuitive. Of course, when there's fear and when there's uncertainty and when there's new headlines every day about updates and bad things that are happening, this is when the market tends to have its worst days. But it's also when the market tends to have its best days. And as an investor, you don't ever want to miss the best days 
Many times clients will speak to me and they'll say, well, shouldn't we just get out or get more conservative until things get better? Well, the problem with that is by the time that things are better, you've often missed the best days. If you go back just a couple years ago to when COVID was happening and unemployment was skyrocketing and shutdowns were going into play, well, the market had some horrible, horrible days. But if you waited until things were fully better, the market had fully recovered and then some. In many ways, you could say things still aren't back to normal to what they were before that time. So as an investor, you do not want to do anything to risk missing these days. If you look at some of the best days recently, well, October 13th of 2008, right in the middle of the global financial meltdown, the market was up 11.6%. Two weeks later, on October 28th of 2008, the market was up 10.8%. And can you imagine just missing those two days because you were spooked out of the market and you missed out on that? Those two days, cumulatively, that was more than a 20% return that you would have missed out on. Going back to March of 2020, on March 24th, the S&P 500 was up 9.4%. On March 13th of 2020, it was up 9.3%. On April 6th of 2020, it was up 7%. So what you can see is, yes, the worst days happened during the worst time during these panics, but so did the best days. And it's not because the market's waiting for things to get better to start climbing again. The market's just waiting for things to get less bad than people are currently anticipating. So do not miss those days. And then the final thing when it comes to maintaining perspective is when you look at returns from the bottom of bear markets. So right now we've hit a bear market, which is a 20% downturn. We've hit a bear market with regards to the NASDAQ. The S&P is technically in correction territory. These are just kind of arbitrary standards that people have made up to measure where are we in this market cycle or where are we in this pullback. But if you look at the returns from market bottoms, the forward-looking returns are enormous. If you look at returns from the 2008 market bottom, market bottomed out on March 9th of 2009, the next year's return, the return over the next 12 months, was over 53%. If you look at the bear market from 2000 to 2002, well, the return over the following year when the market bottomed was just under 25%. When you look at the 2020 downturn that lasted five short weeks, they didn't seem short in the moment, they seemed like the longest weeks in the world, but the market bottomed on March 23rd of 2020, over the next 12 months, it returned over 79%. So that's the risk, or that's really the perspective that we need to maintain, that if you get out too early, you may miss out on some incredible returns. And then finally, with maintaining perspective, maintain some perspective about your own thinking too. And what I mean by that is don't fool yourself. Every single month, there's going to be something that could be the cause of the next bear market, whether it's an election or it's inflation data or it's a trade war or it's a real war or it's unemployment data or whatever it is. There's always something that seems like it could be the cause of the next major market downturn. And at some point, in retrospect, one of those things or a combination of those things will cause a bear market. And what's going to happen? Your brain is going to tell you, James, you idiot. Of course, this was going to happen. You should have gotten out sooner. That's going to happen. Now, what that is, is just confirmation bias. Confirmation bias of looking at that thing and remembering that thing that could have happened, and now that a downturn has happened, assigning a causation there and then understanding that, oh my gosh, I should have known this was coming. Well, the reality is there's so many other things that you thought could have happened that we all thought could have happened that didn't happen and you just forgot about them. Because if you went to cash for every little thing that could go wrong, you'd be in cash forever and your returns would be horrible. 
So maintain perspective about that. Don't let your own thinking fool you. We're all human and it's so tempting to let that happen. We're all subject to these biases. And if you let it, it's going to cloud your thinking and cause more poor decisions going forward. So just maintain perspective about markets and how markets work and even maintain perspective about our own minds and how our own minds work and can cause us to play tricks on ourselves in not the best way. Now, the last thing here. So again, step number one, create a financial plan. Step number two, create an investment plan. Step number three, maintain perspective. So understand just data around how this works historically. But step number four, be courageous. I say be courageous because data is not enough. Oftentimes, what it comes down to is courage. These types of market environments are a test of who you are. It's not calling on your ability to be able to memorize how long bear markets last and be able to memorize what different market events like this in the past looked like and be able to memorize how long it's going to take. All that stuff is good for perspective, but at the end of the day, it comes down to courage. And it's really a test of your resolve and your character as a human more than anything. And I say that because we can look at past crises. So look at COVID, look at the 2008 mortgage meltdown, look at the debt ceiling crisis in 2011 when the US debt was downgraded, look at the tech bubble bursting, look at 9-11, look at, there's so many more. Well, in retrospect, it's easy to see how stocks came out the other side. We can say, oh, well, of course this happened or this progress was made or this thing happened. And so we came out the other side. Well, we have the benefit of hindsight. So it's easy to see how that recovery makes sense in retrospect. And in the past, all these scenarios seem like great buying opportunities, but in the moment, they seem like anything but great buying opportunities. In the moment, all they seem like is inherent risk everywhere you look. And in the moment, we don't have the benefit of hindsight to see how will we get out of this crisis? How will this Ukraine situation resolve itself? How will this inflation situation resolve itself? We don't know. What I will tell you is in the future, looking back on this, it will be easy to connect the dots and say, well, of course it was going to work out that way. But in the moment, that's not how it works. And in the moment, what it comes down to is having faith and having courage that it will work out. I want to read you a quote that might give some perspective on this. This quote is by a man named Thomas Babington Macaulay. And he says this, he says, quote, in every age, everybody knows that up to his own time, progressive improvement has been taking place. Nobody, though, seems to reckon on any improvement in the next generation. We cannot absolutely prove that those are in error who say society has reached a turning point, that we have seen our best days. But so said all who came before us, and with just as much apparent reason. On what principle is it that with nothing but improvement behind us, we are to expect nothing but deterioration before us? End quote. And this quote was from a while ago, so the wording's a little bit different than the way we speak today, but do you resonate with that? That feeling that progress will let up in the future as our best days are behind us. That feeling of, oh my gosh, yeah, there's been a tremendous amount of progress recently, but with all the negativity and all the bad stuff happening around the world, there's just no way that progress can continue going forward. Well, guess what year Macaulay said this? He said this in 1830. So that sense that probably a lot of us are feeling today of, oh my gosh, how can progress continue with all this bad stuff happening? That is just a human condition. That's the human condition of just being able to see and connect the dots going backwards, but unable to see that progress continuing going forward. He said this 200 years ago. Well, what's happened since then? Well, these are just some stats from Steven Pinker's book called The 10 Global Trends That Every Smart Person Should Know. 
Here's some stats. So in 1820, it's estimated that 84% of the world lived in extreme poverty. Today, that number is around 8.5%. So it's decreased 90%. In 1820, 90% of the world's population was illiterate. Today, almost 90% of the world's population is literate. So that's been flipped. In 1870, the total length of schooling completed for people between ages 25 and 64 was about six months. The U.S., there was an outlier at about four years, but globally, the average person had about six months of schooling. And this was the average of people age 24 or older, by the way. So not just the average of people who haven't reached schooling age yet. This is the average of adults. By 2010, that number globally was up to eight and a half years and rising. Since 1920, the odds of a person dying from natural catastrophe, so an earthquake or flood or drought or fire or landslide, has fallen about 99%. IQ scores over the last 100 years have risen by 30%, thanks to better nutrition, more access to schooling, advances in medicine, and more. In 1820, the life expectancy was around 30 years old globally, and this was primarily due to so many children dying before they reached their fifth birthday. And at that time, only about 4% of people lived to be older than 65 years old. Today, global life expectancy is 72 years old, so it's easily more than doubled. And if you're a healthy 65-year-old living in the U.S. right now, your life expectancy expected to be another 20 years or so. So why do I say all this? This may seem totally unrelated, but this is completely related. And in fact, this is the foundation of why we invest. We invest because we believe the future will be better than the past, but there's always this sense that the best days are behind us. There's always this sense of with all the problems we're facing, with all that's going on, we can't possibly continue this improvement. But what we can say is we can look backwards 200 years and see that same thought process was still then, that the best days are behind us, and that's going to continue, but this is why we need to have faith and have courage that we don't know how these things will resolve, but we do know that they will. And this matters because those that succeed financially, they don't necessarily have better financial strategies. I will say they have the right financial strategies for their personal situation, but more importantly, they exhibit resolve in the face of intense uncertainty, and their success or they succeed because of their characters individuals not because of some silver bullet financial strategy that allows them to avoid the downturns like everyone else does. So to be a successful investor, you must value long-term gains. You must value financial independence more than the pain of short-term losses. So that is it. As you're looking at this, what you'll notice I didn't say is there's not a stock that you can buy to avoid this. There's not a specific rebalance or tax loss harvest or any tactical thing that you can do to avoid this. All of these things are timeless principles. Everything from creating a financial plan, step number one, to creating an investment strategy, step number two, to being able to maintain perspective and have some sense of how these types of downturns work and the recovery time and stuff that's important like that to know. And then step number four just comes down to being courageous, having faith in the future, even when you don't know what the future looks like. If you can do that, you will have success at navigating not just this downturn, but any downturn to come as well. So that is it for today. Thank you very much for listening. If you've been listening to the show and enjoying the show and want to support the show at a cost-free way, please leave a review. A review helps us support the show, helps more people to find us. And also be sure to check out the show on YouTube. On YouTube, this same exact show is released, and we also have other content there as well. And you can find the YouTube page at Root Financial Partners. It's my company name. That's what the YouTube channel is under. 
So check us out on YouTube. Please subscribe on YouTube. Share any content that you feel is valuable with friends or family or anyone who you think could benefit from it. And with that said, I will see you all next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a five-star review. And as always, for a list of the notes and the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can find those at the Ready for Retirement website, which is readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. And if you have a question that you would like for me to answer in a future episode, then you can also go to the Ready for Retirement website, readyforretirement.co. There's a page called Submit Your Question where you can submit a question for me to answer in a future episode. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.